0: What Needs to Happen to Eliminate Free Speech Boundaries It seems as if everyone wants free speech until they hear what others say about them. We all want freedom until we see what others do with theirs. The amount of energy and ingenuity that has gone into finding the line between acceptable and unacceptable speech is legend if misguided. The very idea of finding the midpoint between two subjective realities is bizarre. The list of banned words and strategies for removing offenders out of the public spaces provided by opposing groups are mirror images. Each group wants the opposition to grow some thicker skin. Needless to say, those who have thick skin have no intention of abiding by any list or permitting themselves to be ejected out of public forums. People who are sensitive to words have no intention of conditioning themselves to the unacceptable expressions of others. What few, if any, understand, these are not two different solutions to a common problem. They are the same solutions looked at from two distinct realities. We do not even share the same language. At the bare minimum, the framework from which we approach the other group is alien to them. Neither is talking about what the other is concerned with using terms they understand. The ones who are concerned about the violence of words are talking about a real thing and a real threat in their reality. There is no point in asserting these concerns are overblown or more imagined than real. That is true in your reality, but not theirs. We are in a war fought over minds. The mind of the left is not the mind of the right, and vice versa. A mind is a reality or is the knowledge we have about reality. Reality is our knowledge, and the knowledge is reality. We cannot divide what we know from what is. Secularists believe what they see is real. In their mind and thinking, What they see and feel through the body's sensory cells must exist, otherwise there would be nothing to impact their bodies and through this, their mind. Regardless, whatever they see or feel or smell is in their mind. What convinces secularists of the reality of reality is that their minds cannot reconfigure reality. This belief reality is a product of the mind is referred to as solipsism. If reality is a product of the mind, why cannot minds reconfigure reality at will? This misconstrues the nature of reality. The choice is not between an immutable physical reality and a mental construct. Indeed, the solipsism perspective is derived from secularism. Secularists think that anything that is not physical is an hallucination. This is why they reject all arguments for God. In their mind, if it is not physical and observable by the five senses, it does not exist or exists as a figment of the imagination. But the question remains, if the mind cannot create reality, how does reality become aware of itself? This is why metaphysical arguments feel alien to materialists. If physical reality is real in an absolute sense, then what cannot observe using our physical senses is beyond the physical and beyond reality. That which is not physical is irrelevant and has no impact on physical man. But physical reality is only one reality contained in one kind of mind. Despite what secularists want us to believe, mathematics is not observable, numbers are not real things. Logic does not conform to the laws of nature, but its laws are rigid and not subjective. We follow science because it is a methodology that works, not because we will be physically harmed if we fail to conduct an experiment the right way. There are many things that cannot be manipulated by the human mind that are not physical. Logic and mathematics are two obvious examples. The laws of syntax may not appear to be in the same class of order as the laws of logic, but if we break the laws of syntax, it is difficult to communicate. The ease with which these laws are learned suggests more as a play here than blind chance. But syntax is irrelevant if we do not define the words we use. Indeed, it is difficult to understand how effective thinking would be. Were we not able to use words to communicate ideas, even to ourselves? Our minds are a noisy place. But what are we seeing if we do not have language? If we look at a man, using our mind's eye, do we see man as a cis gendered creature or as type of Schrodinger cat? We do not know the image is there until we have defined it. Until defined existence is just a range of possibilities. This opens the door to a new way to understand the problem of free speech. There are no words that are innately offensive. Hate speech is only hate speech from a particular perspective. We assume those who accuse us of hate speech are unreasonable in their objections to how we talk. Until we understand there are two camps that effectively mirror each other, we will not understand what hate speech is or how to remove boundaries on speech. To overcome hate speech, we must eliminate the division that provides the fuel for the speech. But how does one do this? Which group gets to eliminate the other group? Efforts to combat hate speech invariably requires we take a side and help destroy the person holding an opposing view. There is nothing objective about hate speech. The degree to which a comment is hateful is proportionate to how much hate you have for the other person's position. The very fact that a comment is deemed hateful by your means you hate the opinion of the other person. The same comment made by two different people is often responded to in different ways. Hate is a two-edged sword. A word is hateful only in the context of the person saying it. It is not the word that is hated but the context. The tactics used to combat hate speech are predicated on the one voicing the hated being a valid object to be hated. In other words, the efforts to combat hate speech has likely been the single greatest reason why hated rhetoric has increased. The more a group is demonized and their speech vilified, the less impact acts of censorship will have. The fact one has vilified the person and their speech has made you an object of hate. Eventually, censorship will be seen as enemy action. To illustrate this phenomenon. Look at the issue of Islamophobia. This is fear of Islam. Any speech that puts Muslims in a negative light is deemed Islamophobic. If we look at the case of pit bulls, we can understand the issue without being the issue. Pit bull is a breed of dog. They have a negative image because of their tendency, so it is said to injure people. It is not a question if the image is a valid or not. If we believe the accusations, then statements about the danger of pit bulls are fact. If we are certain pit bulls are another dog breed mistreated by their owners, then claims as to the danger they pose is considered hate. There is no objective truth about pit bulls. Regardless of how many people they bite or how much of what they do is a result of their training, In the end humans decide which side of the issue to side with. The same can be said for Islamophobia. There is no objective standard to measure the religion of Islam against. Any comparison we make will be entirely subjective. This is why the issue of hate speech can never be resolved and will only add fuel to the fire. The impact of a religion on human history cannot be tabulated. Humans set the conditions, the parameters, the rules, the definition for any and all evaluations. A human can argue any conclusion so long as he or she organizes information in such a way that the point he or she makes is substantiated. In evaluating the impact Christianity has on the world, we have to decide who is a Christian. When talking about the harm or benefit Christianity has had on the world, Was the global flood a good thing or bad? There is no objective way to conclude which it was. Did the world deserve to be punished or what it an unthinkable horror? The one thing we cannot do is eliminate hate speech by condemning and demonizing those who say things we hate. There are no historical facts, there are only historical events, the details of which are commonly agreed upon. There is nothing in history that is set in stone. Nothing happened that can only be seen from only one perspective. The discovery of America by Columbus is a simple statement. In fact, it has been put into a rhyme. This has not stopped those of a different mind to make the discovery negligible or non-existent. Who is right and who is wrong in the way the event is described? There is no unbiased way to judge between the claims. Who discovered what and when depends on one's perspective. Whether we are looking at discovery in a way meaningful to Europeans or from a global perspective will cause us to come up with different conclusions. We cannot get rid of hate speech by making everyone see things from the same perspective. There are two or more ways of seeing things. The very process of trying to achieve consensus only serves to deepen the division. We want to be free to think what we wish. Cancelling one perspective makes the opposition double down to protect their way of seeing things. Terrorizing people may bring momentary peace and a superficial tranquility, but it does not make the issue go away. The possibility of a different viewpoint remains. Despite the hand-wringing the division has to be accepted if not embraced. We will never agree on everything and the energy spent in forcing everyone to think the same brings into stark relief, whose vision is suppressed and which group terrorized into silence. In other words, we make the dissenting opinion more visible by our acts of oppression even as we attempt to silence it. Which do we want, war or separation? There are no other options. Unless you want to surrender your position and opposition. Unless you wish to agree you represent hate and anger and your viewpoint is unhealthy and wrong, you have to accept the other person's position or go to war to eliminate it. Separation into sovereign jurisdictions brings forth visions of anarchy. This interpretation is founded on a presupposition which may not be true. To accede to a person's right to think differently than you does not mean the total collapse of civilized living. To understand the wisdom of tolerance, it is important to understand the difference between markets and the military. Armies are highly structured, command-orientated, killing machines. But here is the thing. Armies are parasitic. This is why logistics is always the Achilles' heel of an army. Parasitism, especially when it is becomes cannibalism, is as flawed a survival strategy as one can imagine. It is why perpetual motion machines are impossible. The system, any system, needs an external source of energy. Regardless of how mighty the military is, it is from a logistics viewpoint, a fondling baby. Armies are social infants totally dependent on the teat of civil society. As civilians, we have always chosen to feed them. As is the case with the police, we fear the alternative. The issue of free speech is the military problem in microcosm. We want free speech, but we are worried about what others will say about us. We cannot have our own free speech if we destroy the free speech of everyone else. The army that destroys all opposition eventually has no source of supplies. There is only one possible solution to the problem, and that is the bifurcation of society. By this, we mean the creation of communities based on racial identity. Not conventional racial identities, but those grounded in mind. There are two racial groups that express two distinct realities. A reality is a mental construct, at least for one race. Two minds mean two conceptions about what reality is. These classes or types of being are not reconcilable and they are not compatible because the two ways of looking at reality are not compatible. The races divide or fight, those are the options. Neither race will capitulate to the other or be absorbed by the other. Until we understand and accept the doctrine of biracialism it is impossible to come to terms with the division. The division goes to the deepest part of our psyche and indeed to our soul. For all of our history, mankind has attempted to promulgate the mistaken and bizarre idea humans compromise one race. We have fought bloody wars over minor issues. No one confronts the underlying dynamic of war. All wars are racialized or the war would not be fought. The ostensible focus of a war is land. But the idea of property ownership is not objective. It is an argument that exists because of two models of thought. We defend what we claim is ours. But what is this concept of ownership based on? Who contests the claim? No human creature created anything real. It is a law of physics that energy can neither be created or destroyed. We can build and destroy physical things, but the energy or mass does not increase or decrease because of the building or the destroying. Human activity transforms the ordered nature of energy. Why do we think we own one configuration of mass, but not another? Sapiens have devised many methods to address this problem. All these approaches assume sapiens have the only valid perspective. To assume this is to war against all those with a different viewpoint. The world needs to understand the division, accept it and agree to split where the line of demarcation falls. Free speech is only possible in a shared reality. We cannot tolerate free speech in those who oppose what we claim is reality.